That'd be great. I also wanted to tell you this. I wanted to give you an update on the Care Center. Uh, This is so exciting. The Care Center, I want you to know, is on pace to to finish and to be completed on schedule. So it is going to finish on time, which is the end of next month. So think about that. In just a little over five weeks, that thing is going to be completed. And then in the months to follow, it's going to be opened. And we are going to be serving multiple foster kids throughout our city and then other kids in need as well. And I want you to know this. As it's being constructed, that thing is completely paid for. The extension, the hallway back there, which is going to give us some more lobby space, and the care center in its entirety is completely paid for. And so, again, church, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the kind of church uh, that you are. Um, Last thing that I want to mention to you before we dive in this morning, we had Father's Day last weekend. You saw that in the video. We had Myron Pierce here with us, and uh, it was just a fantastic weekend uh, that we had with him. And I just wanted to tell you this because as he and I were walking uh, out of the church that day, he said to me, and just kind of very pointedly, he said, you know, I'm in a lot of churches. I tell my story. I've been a part of a lot of churches. And he said, you know, it's one thing to be embraced by a church's staff. He goes, but it's another thing to really sense the embrace of an entire church family, an entire church body. And uh, you know that feeling you get when you bring a friend of yours to your home and your family really embraces your friend? That's how I felt when I went home last weekend. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the kind of church that you are. Myron said to me very pointedly, looked me right in the eye, and he said, you've got to realize that church is something special. He said, God is doing something significant there. And so I just wanted to relay that to you and just thank you. Um, Brookside, thank you for the kind of church that you are. Thank you for the kind of church that we're becoming. Um, It's a huge privilege to be able to serve in this place. So, yeah, so thank you. Okay, we're going to dive in now. Um, I can't wait, honestly, to unpack the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. So, As you know, we're in this series called Things to Fight For. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a topic that you really have to fight for. It's one of those topics that doesn't just come easily. It's one of those topics that you just don't sit back and you're lazy boy and this one automatically happens in your life. We're going to talk this morning about what it means to fight for your influence. What does it mean to be a person that you don't just kind of cruise through life, but what does it mean to be a person that you look at your life and you go, God, you put me here for a reason and you want me to make a significant impact with my life. That just doesn't happen automatically. You have to fight to have a mentality that, God, you have entrusted me with so much. Lord, help me to steward it so incredibly well. If you were to ask me, Just point blank. If you said, Jeff, what is one of the things as a pastor that brings you joy, like a ton of joy? Like whenever you see it happening, you just go, oh, I thank God that we get to see this happen in our midst. Without giving it much thought at all, I would say this. It's when I get to see, it's when we get to see people realize that God has put them here for a great purpose It's when people realize, okay, God, you have put me on the planet and you've given me great influence in the lives of other people. There's nothing, not much I would say at least, that brings me more joy than being able to see that because when a person realizes that God has put them here and given them beautiful gifts for them to exercise for his good, that person experiences more joy than they ever have before. I remember when I was in college shortly after coming to know Christ. So as a young Christian, 
And I remember I loved the fact that the grace and the forgiveness of God, it was so good. I loved understanding the gifts of God. But I'll tell you, it blew my mind when I realized that God doesn't just kind of give it to people individually, but then God also says this, I'm going to invite you to be a part of being an influence for me, this great God. It blew my mind. It, it helped me rethink all the things that I had thought before, how I viewed the world, how I viewed my own life. I think we'd all agree with this statement that there are two ways that you can maybe kind of go through life. There are two ways that you can look at life. And this morning, I really want to try to help you think along even two separate tracks. So I want you to think of, I'm going to call the first way, the first kind of track of thinking person A, and the second track person B. Now, as I talk about these two, ask yourself the question, which one do you desire to identify with? And again, we got to go back to this statement this morning. You have to fight to be a person who, has, who knows that they have influence. You have to fight to remember that God didn't put you here just to put you here, but he puts you here to be an influencer. And so ask yourself, which do you desire to be? Person A is this. Person A, you could say, they go with the flow. Person A, you could say they have good motives. Person A would be true about them, that they are building into the relationships in their life. They maybe have a career and they're wanting to build that career. Maybe they have a family and they're pouring into their family. Person A would say this, quote unquote, I'm living the dream. They're responding to life as it comes their way. That's person A. Person B is this. Person B shares oftentimes many of the, the exact same things that person A does. Many of the same aspirations, many of the same things that their life takes them to, but they live with a different perspective. Person B, they see life differently. See, person, person B, they see that God, there's a big picture. And while I may have this to do and I may have this career and I may have this family and I might have this, these relationships, that there's a bigger plan in place and that God doesn't want me just to go through life and respond to it as it comes but God has put me here to have influence. And so whether I'm a parent or a student or a carpenter or a business owner, I see myself as a person who can have influence, as a person who have, can have influence for this great God who loves me. Person B, they look at all that God has given them and they say, I want to steward my influence so well. One day I want to stand before God and I want to be able to, with a clear conscience, say, I stewarded the gifts that you gave me so well. That's person B. Today we're going to be looking at the story of this woman named Esther. And I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Esther before we get there. It's a very interesting book. I think it's actually incredible. Now the book of Esther is an interesting book because the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, not one single time. And so the book of Esther was actually highly debated whether it should be put in the canon of Scripture. Should it be one of the books that ended up in the Bible? Because the name of God is never mentioned in it. But here's the thing. You don't have to look long. Even though the name of God is never mentioned directly, you don't have to look long to see the hand of God at work throughout the book of Esther. It's undeniable. This book of Esther is about the story of this woman, and she is a person B. This woman realizes that her life was created for more than just being here. 
She realizes that, okay, her life and her upbringing, her trials and her relationships, and ultimately she realizes that her platform could be used by God, that it could be the space in which God created her to live and to have effective influence. And so there's a question that I want us to keep asking as we go through the text today. It's this, is it possible? Is it possible that God could really be in my circumstances, even what seems maybe mundane, Is it possible that God could be in my circumstances and could be wanting to use my life for the influence of other people for his good? Is that possible? And so we're going to start in Esther chapter 1. You can turn there now. So here it is, Esther chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. It says, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces. Now, This is the king, King Xerxes, and he's ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush, Kush, all the way to Ethiopia. Now, this is, this, what it's saying is this, there's a lot of ground here. And it says, at the time that King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, and in the third year of his reign, what did he do? He gave a banquet for all of his nobles and all of his officials. Now, right out of the gate, the author wants us to know that King Xerxes is a big deal. King Xerxes is a man who had a lot of power, a whole lot of power. And what happens next is this, after this little gathering, which is actually a six-month party that this group had, this group of nobles and officials, after this is over, the king calls for another group to come to town. And hopefully the first group was impressed by everything that he had. That was his desire in bringing them all together. But now he says this, the scriptures say, from the, least to the, from the least to the greatest, I want everybody to come together. And in the context of this big party that went on for days and days, this is what happened next. Verse 10, it says this. It says, on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits. Now, that's just a nice way of saying this dude was plastered <laughs> again. Like him and Jack Daniels would have been best of buddies, Right? When he was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, and we'll just call them one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. I'd rather be called seven than carcass, right? And so he says, he brings all of them before him, then he commands them to bring before him Queen Vashti. So he says to his little entourage, bring my wife, Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown. Why? Well, in order to display her beauty. To the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. Imagine the scene. King Xerxes wants to bring his wife. And so he tells his little workers, he says, go bring my wife and make sure she has her crown on. She's so beautiful. And I want her just to come and I want her to entertain the crowd. I don't want her to meet my friends. I want her to entertain my friends. Now, guys, Don't try this at home. The next time you got your small group at your house, this is a bad idea that he's doing here. And guess what happens? Queen Vashti says this. She says, no, to her credit. And this creates a big problem because now all of the king's men say this. They say, hey, King Xerxes, you got to drop the hammer now because every woman is watching how your wife just responded. And if she won't respect you, there's not a woman in the land that's going to respect us. And so, King, we would advise you in, this, in our humble state here to dismiss your wife. We would advise you to have her no longer be the queen. And so the king listens to their counsel, actually, and boom, Vashti is out of the picture. 
Now some time passes and the king gets lonely, imagine that. And the king's officials come up with this idea to bring before the king all of the beautiful virgins in the land. Now, mind you, before they would appear before the king, they had to go through 12 months of beauty training in essence. I mean, we're talking a lot about a lot of primping. They should have looked good after 12 months. And now they're kind of parading in front of the king. It's like this huge beauty pageant. Try to imagine it. Well, as the story unfolds, you're going to see three characters. Obviously, you're going to see Esther this morning. But then you're also going to be introduced to this guy named Mordecai. And then the third person that you'll see this morning in this story is this man named Haman. First of all, enters Esther. Chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. It says, now the king was attracted. So, again, the beauty pageant's happening. It's the beauty pageant of all beauty pageants. The king was attracted when he saw her to Esther more than any of the other women, for she won his favor and approval. In other words, when King Xerxes saw Esther for him, it was like Shazam, chemistry. She is beautiful. She is hot. She is all of that and more. And she won his favor more than any of the other virgins. And so he set a royal crown on her head, and he made her queen instead of Vashti. Imagine that happening. A little bit about Esther. Esther's parents died when she was young. And when Esther's parents died, there was a man who came into her life who the scriptures say took care of her. And his name was Mordecai, her uncle. And Mordecai didn't just take care of her in the essence, in, 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 in the relationship that he just sent her some money, you know, and, and hoped that she'd do okay. The scriptures say that he treated her as his own child. Mordecai loved Esther. He cared for her. Mordecai is this God-fearing man. He loves Esther. And so when Esther gets chosen to go and to be in the king's palace, Mordecai just doesn't skip off the scene. He continues to check in with her because he cares about her. He wants to be in her life. Now there's a guy that enters the story. His name is Haman. And I just got to tell you, this book, the book of Esther, it's kind of like a soap opera. I remember when I was growing up, there were times when I would fake sick in elementary school, which meant that I got to go to my grandma's house all day. And, and I remember watching Days of Our Lives with, with my grandma, right? It's a great show to bring up a young child on. You know, uh, no, don't, don't do that. But, but this book is kind of like that. So now enter into the scene this man named Haman. This dude is wicked. He's a wicked man. And this guy does not like Uncle Mordecai, Esther's uncle, at all. And he doesn't like him because of this. Haman is one of the king's officials, which means this. He's got power. He has a lot of power. And so when Haman walks the streets, people bow down to him. But whenever he sees Mordecai in the distance, he notices that Mordecai will never bow down to him. Why? Well, because Mordecai is a God-fearing man. And why would he bow down to a man? doesn't make sense to him. And so he never does it. And so Haman comes up with this scheme and he says this. He says, we're not only going to kill you, Mordecai, but we're going to annihilate the entire Jewish race. We're going to eliminate your whole people group because of this one man, Mordecai. And so Haman takes this plan to the king and the king signs off on it. The king stamps it with his signet ring and this thing is in place. They pick a date. It's going to be on the 13th day of the 12th month. Merry Christmas. All the Jews will be annihilated. 
Well, Mordecai hears about this plan, and as you can imagine, it throws him into a tailspin because it's horrible news. This is the kind of news that, of course, Mordecai doesn't want to hear because it's the news that, that, that I can't believe it, our entire people group are going to be annihilated. And so Mordecai goes to the, into the city, the scriptures say, he tears his clothes, and he begins to weep and to wail and to mourn. And sure enough, Esther attendance they hear about this and so they go to Mordecai and they counsel him and they then ultimately they bring back to Esther a message from Mordecai let me ask you a question have you ever looked at your circumstances and you saw all the things when you looked back that God was actually in the details have you ever found that to be true have you ever looked back over your life and while maybe you were in a trial clear over here, when you got to here, you realized that God was actually in that, that through that hard time in your life even, God was able to use that. And you saw God all along the way. Well, the plot really thickens here because know this, not only is Mordecai a Jew, so is Esther. And Esther's been raised to not ever tell the king that she's a Jew. Mordecai told her, don't do that. Well, now she gets this news from Mordecai. The attendants come and they say, Mordecai's in the city. He's going crazy. He's weeping. Why is he weeping? He's weeping because the king has issued this verdict that on the, 12th day of the, uh, on the 13th day of the 12th month, all the Jews are going to be annihilated. Have you ever had God ask you to do something that made you really nervous? I think that's how Esther felt in that moment. Because here's what happened. When she got the news from Mordecai, Mordecai didn't say, hey, pray for us. I think Esther had this sweaty palm moment because Mordecai said to her in chapter 4, verse 8, he said, Esther, you need to go before the king and you need to plead with him. You need to tell the king this is what's happening and you need to plead with the king. You need to put yourself on the line because these are your people and your people are about to die. That would have been a sweaty palm moment for Esther. Esther replies to, the king, or to Mordecai. Now, remember this, church. Remember this. You have to fight for your influence. You have to fight for it. And so think about what's happening here. Esther knows this, and so she sends a message back to Mordecai, and it's as though she's saying this. She's saying, Mordecai, don't you know? Mordecai, don't you know that, that the king who rules the land, the land that you know, you know the king, you know how he rules the kingdom, you know the rules. You know that no one is allowed to go into the inner court of the king and not face death unless the king extends his gold scepter to them. And if he does not, that person is put to death by law. And so Mordecai, translation, I'm not your woman, I'm not your messenger. Mordecai, you think that I have more influence than I really do. Mordecai, you think that I can just walk in there at the drop of a hat. Mordecai, might I remind you, I've not been in the king's presence for 30 days. We're not real close right now. And I don't know if he's going to invite me in anytime soon. In essence, what she was saying is this, I am not your person. I don't have the influence that you think I do. And then I wonder if she just whispered, and remember, he doesn't know I'm a Jew because you told me not to tell him. You told me to keep that a secret, and I have. In that moment, I don't think Esther realizes this. 
I don't think she, she realizes that God has been up to something. And God has been up to something since she was an orphan child. I couldn't help but think of many of you in this room in our church that you have kids in your homes right now that are not your biological children. Just think of what God could do. And I, I think to myself, okay, I wonder if, if she just didn't put it together that not only was she an orphan child f- for a reason that God was in that, but God was in the fact that Mordecai came along, and then God was in the fact that Mordecai was checking in on her, and he overheard the plan, and, and, and that's not inconsequential either, that there's all these things that line up that you just go, God, you're in the circumstances, And now, God, you've given me, I don't think she realized this, but Esther didn't realize, wow, God, now you've given me this incredible platform that I could use my influence to save this entire generation of people. But have you ever noticed this? I know that I have. Have you ever noticed that when you're enjoying the blessings of God, sometimes it's very easy to forget the purposes of God? Have you ever noticed that when you're having kind of the palace moment, I mean, Esther, maybe she didn't want to marry the king, but she surely was enjoying living in the king's palace. She had it good. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you enjoy the blessings of God, you have to fight to stay engaged with the purposes of God? You have to fight for that. You have to fight for the fact, if you're a doctor, you have to fight for the fact that you're not just a doctor to deliver medical news to people and to prescribe medicine and to help people heal. You're a doctor. God has placed you as a doctor to be an influence to the medical community. If you're a teacher, you're not just a teacher to help little ones. You're a teacher to influence a staff that will influence the next generation that will influence the world. You're not just a person on the job site. You're not just a person in the classroom. You're not just a person on the team. God looks at you and he says, I created you for more. He says, I created you to have influence, and I've been in the details, and I've carried you, and I've sought you through all along in the good and the bad, and I have you right where I want you, and I want you to have effective influence. You have to fight for that, though, don't you? But person A, you know what they do? Person A just goes through life, and they live the dream. And they kind of respond to life as it comes because there's plenty to respond to. But person B, they look at it with a higher view and they say, God, what is your purpose in this for me? God, how do you want me to be an influence right here, right now, whatever you're bringing my way? Mordecai responds then in chapter 4, verse 12. He responds to basically Esther saying, I am not your messenger. He says this. He says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, meaning don't think because you're living large, that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. In other words, Esther, I want you to know this. While life is good in the king's palace, don't think for a second that you're going to escape what's about to happen. And, Esther, I want you to know that that there will be a solution that will arise from another place. It's like God gives us this beautiful reminder. I'm going to accomplish my purposes in this dark world with or without you, Esther Brookside. 
but I'm inviting you to join me. He's saying, Mordecai's saying to Esther, either way, it's gonna, it, things will turn out, but you and your father's family will perish. Esther, I just want you to know that God is in charge in his sovereignty, that God is in charge, that, that, that there's no getting around that. And a person A says this, a person A says, well, I'll just respond, I'll just take it easy, I'll just let life happen, but a person B says, no, no, I want to be right in the midst of it. And then it says this, it says, and who knows, this is Mordecai talking to Esther, huge line, he said, and who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, Esther, I love you, Esther, I raised you. Esther, I care for you, but Esther, I have to let you know right now, you are not just in that palace to be some pretty diva. Esther, maybe God has you in this position of royal prominence, this royal position for such a time as this. Esther, maybe this is your moment. Don't miss it. Ashlyn, our nine-year-old, was uh, listening to the book of Esther the other day, and, and, uh, and she was telling me about it. She said, Dad, will you pay me if I listen to the whole Bible? And I don't know how to answer that question, but anyway. And, uh, but I said to her, I said, well, I said, what did you listen to? And she said, well, I, I listened to the book of Esther. And I said, really? I said, I'm teaching on the book of Esther this weekend. I said, tell me, tell me, what did you learn? So she starts going into it, and she says, well, there's this guy, Haman, he's this evil dude, and, and then there's this guy, Mordecai, and he's the uncle to Esther, and she had the facts down, she was really going through it really well. And I said, okay, that's good, those are the facts, that's great. I said, but bottom line it for me. I said, I mean, if you had to boil it down to a point, what would you say? What is the point of the book of Esther? And so she thought about it for a minute, and she kind of pondered a little bit, and, and then she said this to me. She said, I think God wanted her to know Esther, I created you for this moment. And I was like, dang, girl, that's good. Get some ice cream. I'll get out my notes. We'll finish the sermon together, right? Like, get to work. You're hired. But isn't that true? Esther, you were created for this moment. Brookside, you were created for this moment. Brooks, I think about it. It is not an accident. We are building a care center, and it just happens to be that Project Harmony is a block from here. It's not an accident. Brooks, it's not an accident that you work where you work. It's not an accident that your neighbors are who they are. It's not an accident. What if you looked at your life and you, you, you said this of yourself, I was born for this. This is what I was created for, for such a time as this. This is my moment. And then we see Esther, I think it's her finest moment. Her finest moment. But realize this before we look at it. Realize this. What might seem mundane to you might be the place in which God wants to use you to have your greatest influence. What might seem completely mundane to you, ordinary, every day, just another conversation, uh, just another deal, just another uh, meal to cook, just another kid to counsel, just another task at work. What might seem completely mundane to you might be your greatest opportunity for influence that you will ever have in your entire life. It might be the moment 
that God says, I created you for that. And I'm inviting you into it. So be faithful. Verse 15, it says this. It says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She says, she kind of gets her bearings. She senses this nudge from God. And she says, go and gather all the Jews in Susa and fast for me. And do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. And then she says this. She said, I'm going to do the same thing. And then she says, I'm going to be, go before the king. And then she makes this huge statement. She says, if I perish, I perish. Because she realizes this. I would rather die being an influencer than die just watching from the sidelines. It's her greatest moment. And I think it's her greatest moment also because Esther realizes fully that it's not going to be anything that she can accomplish on her own accord. Esther realizes that the only way that this is going to happen, the only way that this is going to play out, and that's why she says, you go and you pray and you fast, and I'm going to do the same thing. She realizes that without the hand of God at work, she doesn't stand a chance. It's her finest moment. She's fighting for her influence, but she's depending on God. She's depending on God. Where would God love for you to join him. Esther, Esther steps into this place of risk. I love this story. Last year at the Global Leadership Summit, um, and I, I totally just echoed Jack's encouragement. Sign up for that. God might touch you in a special way at that thing. Last year at the Global Leadership Summit, when it was being broadcast in, in Zambia, Marjorie, who many of you know, um, she was at that event, and she was in the session, and she was listening to one of the speakers, and, and in that moment, God nudged her, and nudged her to move and to quit her job, a good job in Lusaka, the capital city of Zambia, moved seven hours to a smaller place called Serenje, and to become the director of the Hope Center, this orphanage that we get to partner with. Now, here's the thing. That was a sweaty palms moment for Marjorie, undoubtedly. But she followed it, and she stepped into it. And if you could see her now, she's going to be here in August. It's going to be great to have her here. But if you could see her now, she's having influence. Are we sensitive to the things of God when God says, I want you to be an influence for that person? I was at the gym this week, and God just laid this guy in my heart. And I said, no, God, no, I don't even know him. But sure enough, it's one of those things, just be obedient. She'll be amazed at where God takes things. In that moment, Esther knew this. She knew I would rather be person B. So this is what happens. It says this in verse 2 then. It says, when Esther saw, or when he, the king, saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her, and he held out his gold scepter that was in his hand. And so Esther approached, and she touched the tip of this, the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Now, you read the rest of the story, and you realize this, that the Jews are not annihilated. That the king gives her favor, that the Jews find themselves in a place of peace and celebration for a season. You find that Mordecai gets promoted, not just to one level of leadership, but to more and more. You find that Haman gets executed on the gallows that he built to execute Mordecai on. And one thing is for sure as you read through the book of Esther, it is this. You cannot miss that God works behind the scenes. That God, in what might seem mundane to you, that God is working. 
And you might be surprised when you have that conversation with them. You might be surprised at where it would go. You might be surprised when you have a conversation with a child in your home. You might have the next Esther in your home. But what if you and I saw and we looked at our lives and we said, I want to be person B. I don't want to just pass through life, but I want to say, God, thank you for all you gave me through Jesus Christ. And now as an, as an expression of that, God, I want to have effective influence. And so God, help me to see people how you see them. God, help me to realize that my platform is real. And that might not be a platform of 10 people or 100 or 1,000. It might be a platform of one. But that's significant. Might we be the kind of church that we look at ourselves and we say, you know what, it's not just by chance that we're in this city. But might we say this, Brookside, we are in this city for such a time as this. God could accomplish his work in multiple other ways, but I love it. God is so good to us. He says, Brookside, I invite you in. No matter what you do, no matter what your life situation is like, I invite you to be a part of what I am doing for such a time as this. Brookside, don't miss the moments that maybe you were created for. You might have that moment this week. Let's be the kind of people that we say, God, might we use the influence that you've given us. So let's pray to that end. Would you, would you stand with me now? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that in the book of Esther, we can get a challenge this morning and uh, a challenge not just to walk through life and just see how it goes and respond to it, but a challenge, Lord, to be invited to, to play. God, you, you give us the ball, Lord. You want us in the game. And we're thankful for that this morning. We're thankful that through Jesus Christ, Lord, we can know you and love you and be redeemed. And then, God, it blows our minds that you invite us into the process of helping other people know you. And so, Father, we pray as a church now, Lord, and we just say, God, use us. We're your willing people. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's sing together.